You're listening to 100 Words or Less with Ray Harkins. Hello, hello, nice people. Thank you for listening to this podcast and downloading and putting it in your ear holes because uh, we all care about independent music, punk and hardcore. This stuff is the life's blood of what it is that uh, we all continue to care about. And uh, this person is exemplified by that. His name is Vince Averill. He sings for a band called Cross Control that's on New Age Records. He hosts a podcast called uh, We Watch Wrestling, where uh, he obviously talks about wrestling in the WWE. And uh, I had to have him on because he also, in the 90s, ran some labels called uh, Abidology Records, or not Abidology, Abiology, I think that's how you say it, and Capsule Records. But uh, So he put out the first grade 7-inch. He put out a unbelievable, probably one of my favorite split 12 inches of all time, the Ottawa Jihad split 12 inch. And then he also put out stuff from UNRWA and NEMA, just really, really, really awesome, legendary stuff in my mind. And so I didn't know about that until uh, I was, I can't remember. Oh yeah. He was, I was listening to a podcast with uh, his wife, uh, Georgia Hardstark from uh, My Favorite Murder, which is you know one of the most popular podcasts around. But she like casually mentioned like, oh yeah, my husband uh, like put out the first grade seven inch. And I was like, wait a minute, what? Like I just, I don't know. All, all the worlds were colliding all at once. But um, yeah, so I had to have Vince on and we had a great chat because uh, he comes from the Detroit area has a lot of experience with what I like to define as like the, uh, you know, ebullition scene, as it were, the early screamo stuff. And uh, yeah, a really, really good dude and interesting conversation. So as always, you can email the show 100wordspodcast at gmail.com. I love to get feedback, guest ideas, all that fun stuff, because, uh, you know, who knows? We're, maybe you email me and you're like, hey, you should have this person on the show. And I'm like, that's a great idea. Can you put me in touch? It's happened many, many times. And you can also, this this takes less than two minutes. You can review the show on Apple Podcasts, and it makes this show more legitimate or whatever. But And also support the clients that are advertising on this show. Clients, like, you know, that's, that's my professional business hat on. But, uh, you know, if I am voicing an ad, that means I believe in this thing. And I, I think you should, uh, you know, check it out and uh, support the show because of that. So let's talk to Vince, okay? Like I said, the Ottawa Jihad split is like all-time legendary in in my mind. You can actually find some copies on Discogs for a relatively cheap price. Uh, when I say cheap, I mean like, you know, at one point, gosh, this was probably in the uh, late 90s, early 2000s. That 12-inch was going for like, you know, 80, 90 bucks, which is wild. But um, yeah, you can, you can find it for a more reasonable price now. But uh, like I said, one of my favorite split 12-inches of all time. But um, yeah, we talk all about it and uh, so many other things. But yeah, here we go. Let's talk to Vince. I was aware of, uh, you know, your band and everything by, you know, putting out uh, records on New Age just because, you know, as most hardcore kids do, they pay way too close attention to every label ever. Sure. <laughs> And, uh, but so, you know, here's, here's me listening to a, uh, you know, uh, turned out a punk, uh, Damien Abraham's podcast, uh, mm-hmm. f- friend of mine and, uh, you know, had your wife on recently. And it was one of those things I know, uh, just in existing in the same scene as her. Cause like, you know, Coos Cafe and DIY stuff was like my life as well. But then 
I she just like casually mentioned just like oh yeah like my husband like put out the first grade LP and I was just like whoa 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 like wait what and then lo and behold I'm just like not only did you do that but obviously you know the uh, classic Ottawa Jihad split and I was just like what the hell man I'm like I I just didn't uh, you know I did wasn't aware that your history ran so deep Um, and kind of what we were talking about you know uh, off the air it just how much that stuff kind of boomerangs back at you. Um, is it comical that people, it's like, you know, here we are talking about the first grade LP, you know, some 20 odd years later. Uh, does it just, you know, make you chuckle that this stuff still comes up? Um, yeah, no, I mean, it is, it's as much uh, comical as it is just sort of um, strange or interesting to me that in like every area of my life, cause I also am very deep in, in pro wrestling and that scene and, you know, just like finding out that a wrestler named Ultramantis Black has been at shows that I've been at over the years, who's now like, you know, he's under a, a mask, like no one knows who he really is, but I know enough to know, you know, and, and it is just that thing of like, oh, um, we're going to go to dinner with this couple or whatever. And then, oh, the husband, oh yeah, no, I, you know, I used to listen to Honeywell or whatever, or went to this show or it, it's, it, it is, it's pervasive in my life. So it's almost like, um, this strange coincidence that keeps happening over and over again. <laughs> right. It is true. And I think that, I mean, th- th- my theory where my working theory, and I- I'm sure you'll agree with, you know, some of what I'm saying, just th- the people that get attracted to subcultures, whether it's, you know, wrestling, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, podcasting, wh- whatever it is, like it-, it attracts that same sort of DIY mentality of just like, oh yeah, like, you know, we're not going to ask permission to set up a wrestling show in the middle of this, you know, hall or whatever, in the same way that you're not asking permission to put out the first grade LP or whatever. You're just doing it because they're your friends or whatever. Right. And I mean, and at that time it was more like when I started going to shows in Detroit in 91 or something, uh, it just felt like at that point it was such a, you know, there's no internet or anything. It's very close knit and it, and, and everyone had to sort of contribute. At least that's how it felt to me. You know, or I wasn't going to be one of the people who just like showed up to the show. So I was like, well, I'm not going to do a band. And so quickly you figure out like we sold shirts first, me and me and my buddy, um, Eric Kane, who's who was in the Ma and um, uh, he's, he's been in other bands and stuff. Uh, you know, we, we sold these straight edge shirts first while we were trying to figure out what we we're going to do. And then and then, you know, we um, I mean, I took the money from my graduation party to put out the Ottawa Jihad with him and Matt Weeks from council who was in current and Ottawa and all those other bands and has done a bunch of stuff, including, um, wrong war, which is a great band that's happening right now. Mm-hmm. No, it's really, it's, I like how you articulated that where the notion of something being, you know, so small knit, you feel like you need to contribute because like, that's the only way that this can grow and continue on is if you are participating, whether it's playing in a band, taking photos or putting out zines or whatever, you just feel like you need to do something more than just like simply attend the show. Right. Totally. And I don't know if that's still, um, you know, I don't know if that's still happening. Like, so, so as I've sort of, you know, floated along very immersed in hardcore or just uh, sort of tertiary going to shows here and there, um, you know, and things have changed so much, like even from the first, Ottawa Jihad to whatever the last thing it was I put out. It's like shit has changed so much. You know, it used to be able to like Ottawa Jihad, 
once Ottawa got a, a good review in in Maximum Rock and Roll, we were able to sell you know like a thousand records like that, you know. Right. And now it would mean almost nothing, kind of, or at least it feels that way. So things have changed in that regard. But but then you know I go to I go to Sound and Fury, which is the big festival out here every summer, unless there's a pandemic. And yeah. when I walk in there, I'm just like, I don't know if anything's changed. Like everybody looks looks the same everybody you know just it has the same feel to me um so yeah but i don't know that everyone in that room is like doing something or not that not that everyone in the grounds coffee house in 1992 in detroit was doing something but it just felt like a lot of people were trying to contribute in some way sure yeah no it's true and i think the people that end up contributing whether you know it, it can be something as small as you know <laughs> selling vegan cookies or whatever right, the show exactly. but like but that idea that when you are contributing it's further tying you into the thing where it's like oh yeah we're going to talk about this you know for 20 25 years if not longer because you know you were an active participant as opposed to a passive participant yeah or even you know like it felt like everybody got in the car and then drove two states over when we found out that some band was playing there that wasn't playing here, or there were multiple bands at once that we were going to try to see all at once. And, you know, and obviously that wasn't the case, but that's how it felt at the time, you know? Right. Yeah. You had, you had no choice but to do that. Right. Right. <laughs> we'll, we'll peel away some of those layers, but, um, so you were born and raised in Michigan. Was it Detroit specifically, or where did you come up? Um, I was, uh, I, I was born in Ypsilanti, but, but, born and like raised or lived in Milford my whole life, uh, until I left, you know, to go to college. So Milford is like a suburb, um, about 30 minutes or so outside of Detroit proper. Got it. Got it. Yip, Ypsilanti. Yeah. I, uh, I, I, I was fortunate enough to uh, play a show once at Ypsilanti with, uh, uh, gosh, where, like Mr. Muggs or something like that. I, oh, I yeah. just, rem- yeah, I just remember it was so, I mean, you know, the the legend of the Detroit scene like loomed large. And it was one of those things where I actually felt like after we played the show, it was like, oh, so yeah, we got to load up and like get out of here. Like <laughs> just, you know, we just got to go. Yeah. Like you didn't want to leave your, your shit in your van outside. Right. 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 Exactly. Yeah, uh, yeah. What year would that have been? Mr. Muggs 2000 or something? Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It was with, um, gosh, Kid Brother Collective that like sort of like quicksand. Yes. Yep. Yeah. 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 Um, and the show, like, and oh, there's a, a that band today. I wait. I think okay. if I'm, a, yeah, but yeah, it was. I think it was like 2001 or something okay. like that. But um, yeah, I, I mean, so I just remember that uh, particular uh, city and scene. I mean, even playing Detroit and the Magic Stick and stuff like that. It was always, it, it was just, it, it was interesting because sometimes the legend of certain scenes doesn't like match up to when you actually get there. And I'm sure it's the same way for you. Like when you know, as you've gone around, we're like. Oh, this isn't as like bad as it was, or it's like, oh, this is as bad as it was, or whatever. Right? Yeah, and it's it's funny because you know, my, like my, um, my like intense involvement was sort of, um, like I say, like ninety one to ninety six or ninety seven, and then like it, it's almost like you know, like in co- like in comedy for me too, you know, like they're sort of like your class, and yep. so then I feel like I, you know, moved uh, up to go to grad school or something at Michigan state. And so I wasn't as like immersed. And then I started a, a band and we, we, then we got involved again in like 2000 or whatever, but it just felt like there was this whole 
like there was a whole new crop of people. I remember when, when I, um, first, it was a band called man down. And when I first like sort of had the demo and was trying to get shows, it was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't know anybody again somehow, you know, like it was, uh, it was a weird sea change that I experienced there, but yeah, it's, so it's like, for me, you know, that, that scene felt like a whole different scene than the one that I had sort of been in, you know, you, if you, if you don't go to a show for like a year or something, you're, you might find that everything has sort of flipped over at least personnel wise. Totally. No, I, I, I really, uh, identify with what you're saying as far as like classes. Cause I, I do think that, you know, whatever <laughs> quote unquote air quotes, like the scene as it were mimics like high school in a way where it's like, you know, every three to four years you get your new batch of freshmen coming in or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what was your, I'm going to guess like your uh, upbringing based on, you know, where you were raised, it was, you know, kind of like a typical suburban upbringing, but you know, like brothers and sisters, like how did that kind of family structure look like? Yeah. So, um, I had, I have a brother who's three years older than me and a sister who's 11 years older than me. Um, my mom passed away when I was in like fourth grade. So it was basically just my dad. Um, and he was a teacher and, and a track and cross country coach. So yeah, just, just pretty standard. He was pretty, um, straight laced and, you know, I think outside looking in people, uh, thought he was strict. Like there was like, and the town wasn't that as big as it is even now. And so I think there were times like when I would get in trouble and it was more like the threat of like, I'm going to tell your dad than it was like, like I remember one time we, we played a prank on a, on a boss I had. And this is when I was in fucking college and the, the guy fired my friend, but told, he was like, I'm going to, I'm going to tell your dad, like, this is going to be worse than me firing you. Um, <laughs> which is kind of funny. Cause my dad was, you know, my dad, you know, he, I was definitely, uh, I had respect for him and didn't want to like get in trouble, but it wasn't like he, you know, he didn't put his hands on me or anything like that. He, I guess he was just kind of an intimidating guy, mm-hmm. which I, I also attribute when I think back, um, about being straight edge initially, because I think, I think part of it for me was the fear of that, of, of like alcohol, especially, or the fear of like the repercussions, you know, because my dad didn't drink and, but also I like, I really dug the music and I was just kind of generally more like clean cut and it just like resonated with me. Mm-hmm. But I just like in, in later life trying to sort of dissect like how, how did I, you know, land on that and end up there for as long as I did. And I think initially it was just like, well, here's an easy way to feel like I'm doing like some that, that I think is cool and is, um, outside, but it's also like not something that's inherently going to bring me trouble or, or, you know, land me somewhere that I'm afraid of. Sure. Right. And, and plus like, it's clearly a built in identity. Exactly. Right. Yeah. Like you can, especially to your point of just the idea that when you bring this idea home and articulate it to your father of like, like, I don't drink and here's this straight edge thing. And like, you know, whether or not you sat down and explained, uh, you know, minor threat in the, the, yeah. the chronology of it, but just the idea that like, oh, okay, I can trust my kid. Cause I know that, you know, he's kind of drawn a line in the sand with this. Yeah. And, and two, two sort of things about that one he also saved me from a lot of like, I don't have any 
of those old photos where it's like, you know, I've got the side spike and the parachute pants. Like he just wasn't down for any of the like out of bounds sort of fashion things. Mm -hmm. So he sort of saved me in that regard. But then there were also things like, I remember there was a point where I wanted to become a sharp and he was like looking at it. And obviously, you know, he was on board with the against racial prejudice stuff, but he's like, you're not fucking doing this. (laughs) Like you're not going to just take on this whole thing because you can just do it without you know and sort of like just sort of his his guidance or his strictness for lack of a better term sort of got me i, I mean because i don't i think ultimately you know who knows but but it's probably for the best that i didn't do that and then the other time he you know because he was very supportive as well which i think would come as a surprise of the same people who you know lived in fear of him or whatever but uh the first time we went to DC and like, and I went to the discord house and stuff, he was driving me around. I was like in 10th grade or 11th grade or something. And I remember we got out of the train station in Alexandria. And he was like, Do you see that guy looking at you? He looked just like you. Like he's like, <laughs> he's like, he's got the uniform on that you've got on, you know? Right. He's able to, that's so, that's so awesome that he's able to articulate that and just be like, Oh, Hey, like I see that there are more than one of you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> And, I, and so that well that that's cool that he was you know uh, had that uh you know authority figure that obviously a parent should have but then at the same time was permissive enough for to let you you know experiment within reason and not be like oh dad I'm gonna you know have seven eyebrow piercings or whatever right yeah the only the only like full on shutdown that I still remember is when I I had gotten a born again shirt and on the back was like um you know a a casket with the American flag over it and said, I pledge allegiance to shit. Yep. And he was like, no, you're not fucking wearing that. Like that was the one and only, like I had, you know, I had like a drop dead shirt that said fucking assholes. Don't get it. Like everything else. But he was like, hold on. I'm, I'm putting the foot down on this one. Right. Hard, hard line and sand, you know, re- re- rebel sound of shit and failure is not going to go over well. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Uh, and so what kind of kid did you find yourself being like, you know, as you had a little bit more autonomy in junior high school and high school, I'm going to guess that's where music really started to penetrate you at that point. Well, so, so I, I credit my, there was a neighbor across the street, Chris Langman, who was the same age as my brother, but my brother and I, I think as close as uh, we were in age, it just caused a little friction. And, and he was just into other stuff. He, he was into, um, you know, uh, white snake and rat and whatever. And I think maybe Langman was too at some point, but he's Langman's one introduced me to like Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and shit. So I was super into that from like fifth grade, maybe into sixth grade or so, maybe even touch seventh grade. And then I begin to hang out with the aforementioned, um, Eric Kane, who did Abbeyology records and, and, and all that other stuff and, and still is active in Philadelphia in the scene. Um, and so him and I start to skateboard, you know, and then I remember we were on our way to something on, on the bus and he produced a tape from someone else that was one side was the brand new Gorilla Biscuits LP and the other side was the Misfits. And I just remember like very much gravitating toward the Gorilla Biscuits side. Like it, I had to come around to the Misfits. I just, the, the look of it. And the, the, the lyrics, I just couldn't get my head around, you know, it wasn't my, my uh, thing, but, um, and so then it was, yeah. And then it was kind of on from there, you find the minor threat discography. And then, and then for us, it just became everything, you know, like we just went 
it was skateboarding and and finding out about hardcore and and that stuff. Right. Were uh, did you care about school? Were you a sports kid at all? Did you find yourself in any of those? Right. So um, I was um, I was okay in school, and uh, and then at some point, like I just um, did what I had to do, kind of thing. You know, it was like I I you know I was probably BCs, but but very much doing my homework, you know, the day of, or not, not really given too much of a shit. But the other side of that was my father was very into sports. And so I had played basketball forever. And so I played basketball all the way through high school. And in fact, it was a deal that was like, as long as you play, I will, you don't have to have a job. And so that was like the trade off. And so I, I, um, I stayed with that, but, um, uh, yeah, so I wasn't like I wasn't um, you know a tr- like getting in trouble or shit like that. That wasn't going to fly. But um, right, and 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 looking back too, I feel like <clears throat> pardon me. Um, I sort of got along with everybody. I was never like you know, I was never on the outs on either side just because I I was just I just sort of was. And and I also sort of think about you know, I of course had to, you know, inevitably go through the phase of like the, the, the new deal, like giant skate pants. And, you know, I had some green docks at one point, but, but more than anything, I feel like the way I dress hasn't really changed that much other than those maybe little blips. Right. Right. And I, I think that's, um, I mean, cause you, you are a tall drink of water from what I understand. Yeah. You're a, a tall guy. So like the, the fact that there was that bargain of like, well, I'm tall. So, I mean, you know, I like playing basketball, but if I don't have to have a job, like that's pretty cool. Like I can do this. Yeah. Cause I was gonna, um, you know, there was a little bit of a transition cause I had, I had been into, you know, I played, um, baseball and basketball and all that stuff. And then by, as you get into high school and now I'm like, fuck, all I want to do is you know, pretend like I can skateboard and just go to hardcore shows or like at least be completely immersed in that after school. And so like I played football my freshman year and then was like, no. And I know there were some other points my dad tried to get me to like, you know, run track or do some other stuff. And finally it was just like, look, all right, just keep playing basketball. It was like more for him, you know, Um, which I didn't, I didn't like hate it, but I would have, I certainly would have stopped, you know? Sure. Um, Sure. But, uh, but yeah, the, the, the deal was struck that I couldn't, you know, I had, I would, I would have a car to drive of, of some, you know, a car that would generally get me point A to point B and then also, you know, not have to worry about the other stuff as long as I just did this one thing. So. Right, right. It wasn't, (laughs) it wasn't a difficult choice at that point, you know? Sure, sure. That's incredible. Rockabilia.com is the place where you can get 10% off your order by using this code 100 words. That's the number 100 words. And what makes this company so special? Well, first of all, I love them. I love them as humans. I love them as a uh, service to get you out officially licensed non-bootleg band merch. It's important because these bands get paid on the real, all above board, fast shipping, so many items. Like you can't like, I'm just going to pull it up right now as we speak. Because Rockabilia just like they continually blow my mind with the new stuff that they have. Like, hey, you got a kid? How about they have kids apparel? They got cool Rolling Stone t shirts and so many other things. 
And you can get lost in there for many, many hours in a really, really positive way. So again, go to rockabilly.com, have fun surfing the web. No one says surfing the web anymore, but anyways, have fun (laughs) navigating their website. Use this code 100 words, 10% off and enjoy the band merch that gets shipped to you right to your door. So much fun. And so once you started to dive deeper, like you said, you know, I mean, with the Gorilla Biscuits being kind of an entry point, you know, how how did you kind of start to go down the rabbit hole? Because clearly, as we were mentioning previously, the internet didn't exist. So, you know, a lot of it, I, I presume, was, you know, friends and skateboarding and Thrasher Magazine and all that sort of stuff. But how did you identify um, that there was also something like local happening too? So I think what happens is... Um like from that tape, then maybe shortly thereafter, I'm at like a Borders bookstore and I, I find a Maximum Rock and Roll, which I can't even like fathom as I'm, I don't even know, I'm just looking at the magazines, not expecting anything of that to be there and then seeing it and being like, what, you know? Um, and so then that sort of, you know, I, I feel like gave me like a regional sense of things. But but the biggest the, the biggest thing is that the, the aforementioned Matt Weeks, who was in Relapse and Current and Ottawa and Cavalry and did Council Records, which has put out all these these great records. Um, he was from Milford and he was like a year older than my brother. And so right around this same time, Current is beginning. And so um, Current sort of revitalized, or at least uh, it's not as if, things weren't happening on that sort of scale. Like, you know, there were, there were like the pit bulls and that stuff going on at like these other, like blondies, like a club and shit like Mm -hmm. that. But around the same point of current, which it's sort of just like a, um, you know, stars aligning Eric Z from element, um, zine and element records and all that. He starts doing shows with a guy named Addison at the grounds coffee house in Detroit. And so, they're beginning to do these shows where they're bringing in these bands and then current happens and current sort of just is that like um, focal point or whatever. It like all of a sudden there's all these people coming to see this one band that's from here. Um, and so then from that, I think we're all sort of finding out about this other stuff. Uh, but because Matt was from Milford, you know, I, I just became aware of it happening as it was happening and so then, you know, once, once you're there, then, you know, there's a table full of records or someone else who knows about this. And, and then it just like happened. And, and the thing about those shows and then at the same time shows that at a place called 404 Willis, which is, is right down next to the freezer, which is where like negative approach and all those bands first started in, in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, that's happening too. And so, you know, there's a show like, I remember like, looking and this was the, the time when basketball became a problem because like i knew i had to go to like summer basketball and i'm looking at the like show schedule for like the grounds of 404 and shit and there's a show like three times a week sometimes in the summer and i'm just going fuck i can't miss any of these shows but i also have to go for like a week to the other side of the state to like keep my lifeline in place or whatever i mean i don't want to paint it like that but you know what i mean yep yeah 
Yeah, no, and that's uh, I really uh, with Current. They're obviously an incredible band, and uh, I think it was really interesting because they, you know, predated a lot of the, uh, you know, even though they existed within the kind of you know Ebullition record scene, you know, screamo, whatever you want to call it, like right. you know, not the Fallout Boy screamo or whatever, My Chemical Romance. Not not like there's anything wrong with that, but yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, I, I found it interesting that they came from that area because it was like really really devoid of context like they were creating this obviously all on their own i mean you know with a myriad of influences that they were pulling from but uh to to have it happen in that particular area was really really indicative of them just being like all right well this this is what we're doing like you know this doesn't exist in the scene currently so we're gonna do this yeah and and it's like you know it's the reason at least you know matt and those guys um Justin Broch, all those guys like that DC was such a big thing. Like, I feel like the current sort of came more out of like the DC sound, but then in creating their own thing does begin to sort of, uh, blend into that other, you know, like sort of screamo thing, even though, like you say, you wouldn't think of it in that sense. Um, but yeah. And I, and I think I, it's, it's, their foresight or their interest or whatever that sort of shapes that whole scene, because there are still people who come in sometimes who are like, you know, from the more, um, for lack of a better term, like macho side of what was sort of going on in Detroit. And so this is now becoming this very, like you say, like it is that abolition thing. Like I remember, you know, um, there was, well, I mean, I think it's all of hardcore, but, but it became very insular. Like I remember, you know, you'd be at a show and then someone turned up who hadn't been there. And, and I remember talking to people who from my high school were just like, Oh, I heard this thing. I came down and then, and they were like, I fucking felt like I was getting so vibed out. You know, it was, there was no unity. Like it it very quickly became like, who's supposed to be here and who's not that, that was the vibe, you know? And, And I don't think that's only in that place, but, um, uh, but yes, I think they're sort of how, how they were seeing things and developing things is what sort of took off and, and made that scene, um, be very much more in that sense of what was going on in other places as well. Just that very DIY, like, you know, um, like I remember, <laughs> you know, like, like having a clean shirt on might catch you some heat at times, you know, like right. you, it was just <laughs> like, are you like, w- w- did you, you put out a record that's like like full color and glossy what what are you know are you are you trying to be a corporation or so you know like just shit like that that was a byproduct of it but (laughs) no totally it's like especially when that you know i mean as that scene started to you know mature quote unquote just the idea of like oh having you know a barcode on your record it's like oh dude i'm not going to review your record in my zine like just and like whereas now like no one would ever say that <laughs> like that just doesn't exist you know um, right because and, there's and ultimately i don't know that it you know i i ultimately i don't know what came of that that was a positive like yeah you know if if you don't want it in if you're like well this is a piece of art and i don't want it on the art you can still put a sticker well i mean then you're talking about shrink wrap which might also be an issue i don't right. that, that's the thing it's a very slippery slope you know 
Yeah. Um, oh, no, totally. And I, I think, too, I mean, it, it, I'm glad you brought that up because I, I do think it's very uh, – it, it feels, you know, uh, self-defeating in a way because you want the, you know, these scenes to obviously matriculate and go out in the world and start to affect change. But then when you have all of these tacit rules – that, uh, you know, some make sense in the context of like, yes, we're trying to rail against this capitalist system or whatever. But then when you're just like, are you really drawing that line in the sand where like shrink wrap is a big deal <laughs> or whatever? Like, right. it's like, then you're just going to eliminate a bunch of people who might be interested in the first place. And, you know, the other funny thing when I was talking about sort of reentering the Detroit scene in like 2000 or 2001 or whatever it would have been, with man yeah. down and trying to get shows, you know, things had changed where it was like, it was much more, um, at least it felt like at the time, like much more kind of straightforward hardcore. It was like things had changed a little bit. And, and obviously what they cared about was different. But the thing that hadn't changed was the first show we played, um, the drummer in the band was not like necessarily a hardcore guy, my buddy Dave. He, but he was into all kinds of shit and he was just a cool dude. But, but he's setting his drums up and I remember hearing a guy go, who is this weirdo and what is he going to do? You know, just that like, <laughs> right, I like, don't know if that's, if that's a unity song when you, you know, operate that way, but, but it's, there still just is that sort of, um, gatekeeping and you can sort of spin it positive by being like, well, you're trying to, you know, you're trying to hold on to this thing and you're trying to make sure that it stays what it is. And because there is a positive thing happening, but the other side of it is like, you're just being so exclusionary that whatever you think you're accomplishing is is not going to yeah be able to be received by anyone outside of whoever's in the room right the uh you know forest from the trees saying it's like that's you know you're eliminating that person's experience especially if they're you know young insecure which most of us are as they go to shows and like if you get judged for being like oh damn dude i shouldn't wear this shirt like oh okay maybe i shouldn't go to this show or whatever so yeah right or you're just like well okay fuck you you know <laughs> like <laughs> Totally, totally. Yeah, that's the other way that you can go. Yeah. Um, So what what was the, uh, you know, for lack of a better term, like life path, you know, Uh, because I mean, you know, clearly, uh, you know, what you're doing now and where you've ended up is, um, you know, not a uh, a straight line, so to speak. Right. So like, you know, what did you study in college? Because obviously you went to college. Yeah. So, well, and and that's the whole thing because I, I went to Eastern Michigan, which is in Ypsilanti. It's a Mac school, but it's kind of considered, I feel like, at least at that time, um, almost more of like a four-year commuter school, you know, even though it's like a division one, whatever. It's like most people, there aren't a lot of people who who stay there, you know. They even offered like in-state tuition to Ohio people. But, but the reason I went there was because that was the place I could get into and not be very far from the hardcore scene. Sure. So I'm I'm getting out of high school and I don't like – my thought is not – I've made this joke, but it's it, – it, there is some truth to it. It's like I've always just wanted to get back to my first love of doing nothing. And so I don't think that I – you know, I wasn't just like, you know, a lazy – but I but I, I didn't have any like, oh, I want to do this or I want to do that or what's going to happen in my life. So I went to Eastern for the sole purpose of being able to, to go to shows. And so because of that, I'm just like, what am I going to study – and I'm still in the mode of like, if I go to a, if I go to the first class of, especially if it's like a, um, you know, just a prerequisite and I get the syllabus and there's like too much, too many papers or too many like essay tests. I'm like, all right, I'm out. I'll come back and see if I can get this with somebody else where there's like an easier way to do it kind of thing. 
Um, but I studied um, geography and, and travel and tourism. Uh, and the major was, was geography. And so you get done with a four-year degree in geography, at least for me at that point, and there wasn't a whole lot to be done. Um, and so then I kicked around for like a year, like working in the like most soul crushing, like office job that I could just get. Sure. Um, like a job, <clears throat> it was at a wholesale mortgage bank, which is like basically, um, a, a like if, if you got the guy on the TV, who's like, uh, you know, I can, I can get you in the house, whatever at this, this, that's the company that's giving that person the money you know, to, right, to lend right. it out. But, but it's just a big fucking office. And I remember I had to like press a button at my, at my desk to leave my desk so that at the end of the day or the week, they could be like, well, we saw you weren't at your desk here um, from here to here. Like, what were you doing kind of shit, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was, it was bad news. So then I start going like, what, oh, what can I do? And then I realized that I could go to grad school for free. If you just, you know, there's just like assistantships where if you get into a, a program and then you do a job for them, they just pay for the school. So I'm like, I'll just go back because that was that was an easier, simpler time for me. I don't know what the fuck is going on in the real world. And it's sure. sort of also that's that's around like 98, 99. And so like hardcore for me is sort of fading out as as it was. And so I'm just like sort of rudderless, you know, um, other than pro wrestling, which is also like happening for me kind of nonstop at this point maybe to fill the void because i'm no longer going to that like the hardcore isn't as like all the time and so now i have this other thing but um so then i go back to grad school for um park and recreation i get a master's in that from michigan state um and yeah so so i didn't know what i was going to do and then i don't know how long you want me to go into what what happened to my life but no, yeah, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll trace the lineage of uh, you getting out to Los Angeles and okay. stuff like that. All right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You're like, how, how much do you want me to? And then, now? and then, yeah. <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, and and so you know, I mean, as you were, you know, kind of uh, bouncing around, and obviously, you know, this is when you started to put out records as well. And you know, like we were talking about, you know, putting out the first, uh, you know, great LP, and then you know, having the involvement with the uh, Ottawa and Jihad split. Um, you, did you, I guess, like the sort of function of the business side of things? Because, I mean, uh, you know, I, I know you played and obviously still currently play in a band. But, um, you know, how, how did that all kind of like congeal in your head, the sort of like business implications of putting a record out? Mm, yeah. Um, I don't know, because, you know, so that that first the Ottawa Jihad thing was, again, it was like. I knew I wanted to do something. I was like, oh, it, you know put out a record. And so I, I think I told Kane that that's what I was thinking about doing. And it's like, well, I'd, I'd, I'd do that with you, you know? And so we went to that first, was it the first one or the second one? No, it would have been the second one. Um, Dayton fest, uh, mm, more than okay. music. And so we're there that weekend and, and the Ottawa stuff had been recorded, which was current with like an additional one or two people doing sort of like grindcore. Um, and they were like, oh, well, you know, we have this, we were talking about, and then, it, and the Jihad guys were there and, and somehow it just came together. Like, oh, we'll just do this as a split. Vincent Kane will take care of part of it. Weeks with council will do the other part. And so it just sort of like happened that way. Like, oh, we're just going to do this. And then, and then you begin to sort of um, figure out how to do it. I was never um, 
great at it. And so we were fortunate with that one that it just like had this built in thing because the Ottawa tape had become such a, had such a hubbubbery around it that, um, that record was going to sell hot, you know? And so sure enough, it did. It took a long time that we pressed it at Archer in Detroit and that was a nightmare to get the records. And then we got some, and there were some LPs you, if you held them on the edge, they just like folded over. They were so thin and shitty. Um, ultimately got taken care of, but, but it's, 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 so that, that was me and Kane doing abbeyology. And so once I, it's the same, it's a, it's another story of that where like I was going one direction, he was going another, we were living together the first year at college. And I think I was becoming a little more lenient in my views around, you know, hardcore and, you know, whatever politics and however you want to frame it. And he was, mm-hmm. he was just going in another direction, you know, much more into the, um, the other side of it. And so I was like, well, I think I want to do, there was another band called hinge that was local that they played hardcore shows, but they weren't so much a hardcore band, I guess, traditionally. And so mm-hmm. he didn't want anything to do with that. We were sort of breaking up for lack of a better term. We had been together almost every day since seventh grade and he was going to drop out of school and go do something else. And so um, I love Kane. We're still buddies today. But at that point, we sort of just had to split. And so I started Capsule. So that's the point when I'm like, all right, well, I got to do this. I got to do a record after this Ottawa Jihad thing. And it's just me. Um, and so that was much more of the learning of, you know, like, okay, you got to get films made for the cover. And, you know, like the Ottawa thing was just a lot simpler because it was much more like just – kinkos maybe not even and you know things just sort of happen and and weeks had already done a bunch of it so i don't think i was as hands-on with that first thing right right it was more you know for lack of a better term like falling in your lap but like in a good way you still were an active participant but it wasn't as like oh man i got to start this from literal scratch right and so then then you then you start because also i was like i want to fucking do a glued sleeved record that has colors on it and you know whatever and so I went home, um, I think for Christmas that whatever year that would have been 95 or something, 90, I don't know. Uh, and I had gotten some stuff from very distro in the mail. And one of them was this, I think it was grade and let's say incision or something. It was like a split CD. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Yep. And, um, I was like, Oh shit, man. Like I, I really dig this this grade side. And so I just called him on the phone. I think I would have had to just call him on the phone. <laughs> right. Because that, that's what you did. You listed your phone number in the records. Right. And then I was like, yo, like, do you guys want to do a record or, <laughs> you know, and they're like, did you talk to, did you talk to Kyle? Or I believe so. Yeah. I, th- I, yeah. I think it was Kyle. Yeah. And so we, you know, I was like, oh yeah. Okay. And then I think they came down. I don't know. I, I can't, the timeline is fuzzy, but they, sure. they either came down for a visit or a show that was happening or something. And then we recorded this LP at, at a place called signal to noise in Toronto, which I think is still there. Um, yeah. Classic studio in the, uh, the Southern Ontario area. Yeah. And, um, and, and, and then we went and, uh, I remember the, Did that, you- Oops, did, did you pay? No, it's okay. Did you, uh, did you pay for the, uh, recording? Like did I you, did, you know? which would unfortunately come up later, um, because of the falling out that we had, uh, 
Got it. And, and so, yeah, so, so uh, I remember as far as like trying to, you know, figure out how things work, like Kyle just had this like physical piece of art that is that cover. Okay. And so I had to like find some place in Ann Arbor that would like took a photo of it and then made the films for the jacket, you know, right. um, and all that and like figuring out, you know, where I was going to press it. Cause I knew that the pressing plant in my town, at least at that point was not <laughs> a place I wanted to do business with anymore, you know? Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then, and, and I also remember like at that point, like making tapes of the recording and sending that to like, you know, Kent McClard and whoever the other very distro, these other distros at the time, and then calling and being like, do you want to take some copies of this? You know, because there was like, even though they had had that CD, I don't think anybody knew who they were. No. And it wasn't like I was calling and being like, from the makers of Ottawa Jihad, like, here's <laughs> this great record. You know, it's just like, okay, now I'm trying to do this thing. Like, does anybody want some? And fortunately, at that point, you know, I guess there's just, I think, I feel like at, the, at that time, there's just so much less stuff, you know? Cause even when I, I just put out a record by this band called Pilau from DC and even doing that and getting a hold of Kent, he's just like, dude, I, I mean, I can, I can take some, I, you know, but, it, but it's just like, what, what the fuck is he going to do with it? Like, you know, unless there's some impetus, <laughs> you know, there's just so much more going on. You're not going to listen to it and be like, I like it. So I'll just take some and hope that other people like it. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason that, yeah, that again, that was like another record that just sort of hit for people and and did really well coming coming out of the gate yeah no that, that that's incredible and it, it's it's fun when you even when you see you know a, a small amount of momentum where it's just like damn dude like 10 people ordered this record i got you know like <laughs> i got ten dollars is sent in the mail to me for me to mail this out like it just feels exciting because you're helping to contribute to not only the scene at large, but then, you know, in turn helping a band out that you like. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I've got a couple people come over to help me stuff the records when they arrive. And it's like, everything is, is very much, you know, DIY, but you're like, you're just like, you couldn't be more involved in every, every element of it, you know, every aspect. Um, yeah. but then when you talk about my, like sort of, you know, the, the machination, the business of putting out a record, it's what it, it's ultimately the downfall of mine and grades relationship because the record sells really fast. And I don't know, there was some hang up on my side about repressing it or figuring out how to like do that. And, and they wanted to like to immediately do a different record or something. And, and so we're having a little like, like, conflict in that i wouldn't even call it conflict but we're just sort of like they're like well we want to record this other record i'm like well shouldn't we put some more of this and 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 then one or two of the guys from the band come down to detroit and they're going to meet me at a show at a place called the shelter and this is very of the time i don't find him or them and so at a certain point i just leave and there's no cell phones and so that they are sort of stranded in Detroit for a period of time because of our miscommunication and our lack of the ability to get together. And so that sort of just like breaks it. And, and again, this is just my memory of it. And also sure. I don't, I have no, there's no part of me that 
looks back and is like, fuck those guys or I was right or anything like that. <laughs> sure, um, sure. But then the next thing that happens is they're like, we're going to, we're taking the record to second nature. Or I don't know if it was originally second nature. Maybe it was somebody else and then it ended up being second nature. But, and so then I was, you know, of course you, you feel hurt or whatever. And so then I was like, well, the songs are yours, but the recording is mine. And right. so we had that discussion for a minute, but then ultimately, cause they were like, give us the plates. And I was like, well, the plates are mine. You know, and that's, again, at the time, it's just me, you know, feeling like hurt, even though there's two sides to the story. And uh, ultimately, yeah, I don't, there was no, there wasn't, there wasn't anything like, uh, maybe they had to get new plates or something, but, but we, you know, then it was done. And then I just haven't, we haven't had any communication since, but I would hope <laughs> right, right. that the same way, you know, you, I look back at other things around hardcore and, and my um, narrow view that, that we might, if we saw each other, be able to you know, laugh about it or something at this point. To, right. Exactly. It's like, yeah, the, the, the drama at one, at that point where the stakes were in all, in all stretches of the imagination low, but it's still, you know, you were in it and you were, you were processing it. So yeah, I, I, yeah. I agree. I mean, honestly, um, my, my biggest, my biggest guilt is around leaving someone stranded in Detroit. Um, yep. But again, sure. at the time I was like, maybe they didn't make it. You know, like I didn't even know if they had actually like there was just no way to know. And after a certain point, I was like, well, I guess I just go home. I don't, you know, so. Yeah. But the fact that someone did ultimately like get a ride from, you know, Toronto or Mississauga or whatever, and then was like, well, fuck, now I'm just like ass out. What am I going to do? But right, yeah. right, right. Um, you know, be kind of hitting on the the fact that you know there is these three different subcultures that you've touched from you know wrestling to comedy to you know punk and hardcore and all of them you know have the diy roots to every single one mm-hmm. of them um i i presume that isn't lost on you <laughs> i presume that is like no. the guiding principle that you sort of follow through all through this on no it, 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 and it, the other you know when i first got into comedy and there there are comedians you know if like comedians at a level that you wouldn't even expect to still be booking their own shows you know there's still like people working clubs who they make all the calls or they 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 do all the follow-ups to get their gigs you know so it was like oh shit this is this is still happening like there there still aren't like there are at a certain level but even all the way up to a certain point there there still aren't any intermediaries there's no agents and shit you're still just like having to hustle your own shit you know mm-hmm Right. And it's really, um, and I think that even though not everybody experiences, you know, the small sweaty rooms that you and I have experienced, like it's still like, there is that common bond of like, oh yeah, like we haven't experienced the same exact thing, but at the same time, like there is that common through line that you're able to pull from. Right. Not everyone has our tinnitus from the Marshall stacks in a living room (laughs) over and over. Right, exactly. Watching a few bands that you don't even like, but you're like, well, you know, of course, I'm going to check them out, yeah. support the scene or whatever. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I, I presume then once you came out to L.A. to, I presume, pr- pursue comedy, correct? Well, so what happens is um, I finish grad school and I start, um, I'm like managing a like park, a small like municipal park system okay. in a town that's that's right outside Detroit. And as that's happening, I'm still just going like, all right, this is all right. 
Um, I guess this is what it is, you know, life or whatever. And, and then I took a, um, like a sketch writing class at second city in Detroit. And in, during that time, someone there was like, I oh, mean, you're funny. You should, you ever do stand up? You should write five minutes. I'll get you on stage. So I was like, Oh, all right. So I spend a couple months writing five minutes to get me on stage. And that, that first night was just like this, you know, like holy shit thing where it was like, wow, that, that was awesome. Um, there's nobody else in the band or the bands I'm working with who have any other say there's immediate, I get immediate response for what I've done. This is fucking good. This is good. And so then from that moment, I just go like head down full on into stand up. And so that's 2004, uh, January, 2006, I moved to New York to, to, to chase that. And so I was there from 06 to 12 ish, mm-hmm. you know, before and before I come out here. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So yeah, the, the pursuit, uh, and, and did you, I, I guess kind of recognize the same sort of feeling of what it was like, you know, like playing in bands and putting out records of just like, Oh yeah, well, you know, I, I got to play to negative four people at four in the morning or whatever. Like this. Right. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a similar hustle. And in fact, the first, the first time I went on stage, first few times I like, I like wrapped the cord around my hand, you know, like, <laughs> like I was uh, <laughs> right. Like you're ready. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah, so it's the same thing, you know? So then you're just like, you're just trying to, trying to get stage time and, and sometimes, yeah, the shows are, are terrible and, and there isn't anybody there or there's a few people there or, you know, there's like very, very low valleys and then some, some peaks that'll fucking, you know, make you do shit that, you wouldn't otherwise because because what happens is so then i'm just like hot on like i got to get out of here because my thought was the trajectory of a comic and this is no disrespect to anyone um but for me it felt like the trajectory of me staying in michigan was that i would ultimately wake up in you know fort wayne for my weekend at the club and the thing about doing comedy that way and maybe this is you know this might just be a commentary on my ability so that's why I don't want to offend anybody, but like you do those clubs and it's not like anybody's coming there. Cause they, a lot of times know who you are, right? They're like, I'm just going to go to the comedy club. And so people turn up and they, you know, it's like music, right? Like it, it, there's so many different kinds of comedy. So like, it, it's going to be a lot harder to get over with these people. Right. Because they're just like, whatever their expectation is, you may not be it. And so I felt like if I stayed missing you, so then you begin to write jokes to survive. Right. And those are the kind of jokes, at least in that zone at the time for me, didn't feel like the kind of jokes I wanted to do. You know, I didn't, you know, and again, now I'm being very general and I don't want to piss anybody off, but like, you know, your wife and your dick and, and the the stuff that I just didn't want to tread on. So I was like, let me get the fuck out of here and try to just like do this in another way, just for me. And so I began to be like, how am I going to get to New York? Cause, cause there's like, I think in music too that, you know, but there are those people in comedy who are like, I can't, I can't hardly have a day job. I have to focus on my art, you know? And I was the other way where I was like, I need to fucking not have to have the concern over my head of like, how am I going to eat and shit, even though I would still have that. Um, So I was always like, I got to have a job and then I can try to do this other thing, you know? Sure. So I, I ultimately after a couple of years got a job with the New York city parks 
but um, very quickly I came for a visit. They were, they called me and they were like, we need you to come right now for a week to get on the books because there's going to be an election. And if you're not on the books, we're going to lose the spot. So just come get set up and then you can go home and wrap your shit and come back, you know? Uh So in that week though, I came and they showed me like I was going to be in charge of these parks, Pelham Bay and Orchard beach, like up in the Bronx. And they were just like, they were in such disrepair, at least in my eye from coming from where I was coming from. But it seemed like, you know, in New York, there were, there was money for central park. There was money for um, prospect park, but like a lot of the other parks, they were just sort of like fend for yourself a little bit. In fact, they were like, a lot of your labor will come from like the meth, the methadone clinic. Like they come over in the morning, give them a rake, whatever, whatever. And so I'm just going like, oh, holy shit, I can't fucking do this. There's no way. I yeah, you're this. like, what the hell is this? Right. And they're going like, why don't you live on City Island, which is like up at the top of the Bronx. And I'm just going like, all I'm thinking is like, I'm really here to try to like do shit in the city <laughs> and a little bit of Brooklyn. Like I can't, this is all, but my friend got me on at Caroline's during that week. And I went up and I had this fucking set and I left that place. And my dad told me later, he's like, when you call me, I knew you were fucking moving like no matter what. And so I, I cash out my 401k for my job in Michigan and just moved there without a job. Um, because I was like, you know, that, that's what I mean to say is like, there's those lows in comedy, but when you hit a peak, you're like, okay, I'll run into traffic. Like, let's do it. You know, like, so I was just like, fuck, I'm doing this, you know, just based on that one time. Right. Right. No. And that was the, uh, that was the, the chase. And I, I do, I mean, very similar to, you know, how people obviously exist in bands where it's just like, it feels like you're either in and you're just like, you know, you're touring 300 days out of the year or you're out and you, you know, you have a day job to be able to be like, oh yeah, like I need to survive. Like I'm not making a living off of my band or whatever. Um, But I I do think that, you know, where you're pulling inspiration from, you know, when you, I mean, you've seen this a million times in music where it's like, you know, bands release their second or third LP and all they're talking about is being on the road. Right. (laughs) And you're just like, uh, well, maybe, you know, if I'm a comic and I'm touring, you know, whatever, 300 days out of the year, like all I'm going to be talking about is green rooms and, you know, how crappy the, you know, flight was over here or whatever. Right. But also the other sort of through line is that once you then are immersed and those are, you're always just around comics, it can sometimes sort of shade you a little bit where it's like, Oh, that's, that's not, that's, you don't want to talk about that or you don't want to like, you know, that, that same, that same thing creeps in of like, "Mm, that joke seems like it's more of a fucking, you know, road hack joke. Why are you, why are you doing that joke kind of thing? You know, where that not only like you don't have experience outside of just, doing it but then you're also just around that group of people who are beginning to sort of influence how you think about it you know yeah oh for sure it's like that yeah it becomes this you know uh a judgmental echo chamber mm-hmm. <laughs> where mm-hmm. it's just like it's like wait i but i i i felt like this came from a unique train of thought or whatever <laughs> and it's like no 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 dude right. i heard that last week it's like wait what right. no well i didn't so <laughs> yeah uh and, and to say last two things i want to hit on was the idea that um you know you're uh you started to get involved in you know clearly your your podcast you do now um you know focused on uh, wrestling mm-hmm. of all shapes and sizes independent all the way up to obviously wwe um that you know that DIY grind exists. I mean, people are more aware of it now, I think, than they were you know 15 years ago. Um, 
it, but do you see people kind of paying, I guess, more attention to the independent minded, you know, wrestling communities now more than they did a couple of years ago? Or is that just maybe because, you know, I'm viewing it through the hardcore lens or whatever? No, I, th- I mean, I mean, I think, um, you know, uh, indie wrestling in the sense of like it not just being um, a little show with like a few guys who used to be in the WWF and then a couple of local guys, right? There's a point around actually like 2000-ish as well where it's more like, oh, no, this is like actually sometimes better than what's on TV where you just have these young guys who are doing innovative shit. Um, And so, yeah, I think – and that sort of just builds. And then there's been a a couple of heydays, um, but one of them out here being um, a company called Pro Wrestling Guerrilla that um, were doing shows in this room in Reseda that to me – it, again, it just felt like a hardcore show, not only in the venue itself, but just the vibe and how much the crowd was influencing what was happening in the ring instead of on the stage. But it was, and it was sweaty. And it, like, there were times, you know, where I would leave there and go, like, this is pro wrestling in its highest form. It's being practiced in this room. Um, you're not, not in Japan, not in whatever It's happening right here. And it's that same vibe of like walking out of a hardcore show and being like, I, who gives a fuck about anything that's like on the radio or whatever else? Like I just, I just saw, felt and heard the fucking, the purest form of what this is. Right. <laughs> this is like, it, you know, it, the people who care are here because you've had to work to get here. And, you know, the blood, sweat and tears that people put into this is, you know, I mean, the word authentic is thrown around all the time now yeah. <laughs> and it loses its meaning. But like that is the literal purest form of why people do what they do. But but it is like PWG was that thing of like it was very hard to get a ticket. And then even once you had a ticket, you had to line up for a few hours to get in and try to get a seat that was where you wanted it. And then after a little while you start to see, you look and you're like, Oh fucking James Franco's on the stage or, you know, Sophia's Vergara or whatever have shown up because people are just beginning to hear like there's a thing happening, you know? And it's that same thing of like, maybe it wasn't that level, but you know, once like shit starts to pop in Detroit, you know, then you're like, this fucking dude from my high school, how the fuck did he end up here? (laughs) <laughs> like you're just like because that something is going on, you know, and maybe they don't right. know exactly what it is, but they know they need to come and like look at it, you know. Right? They need. They heard that David Arquette is wrestling, so it's like, <laughs> yo, I got to show up here. What does that mean? Right. <laughs> um. The the last thing I want to hit on was the you know the fact that you um you know you and your wife, I mean, obviously with her podcast mm-hmm. and being able to tr- like. It, it was funny, even before I really knew that there was, you know, some sort of like punk connection with, um, you know, her from that perspective, it, it, all the DIY principles still existed where it was just like, oh yeah, like they probably have experience with this. Um, and then obviously knowing the history, it's like, oh yes, they do. And then feeling your influence in regards to like, Hey, let's do merch and like all of these other things, not saying that was like solely your idea, right. but you know, you get the, um, you know, where I'm ha- kind of headed with this, but you know, has it been interesting to kind of watch this thing grow into, you know, what it is now and then still like feeling like it, you know, trying to keep that feeling of why obviously this started in the first place? Yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's beyond interesting because it has absolutely 2000% changed our lives in, in ways that we 
could have never imagined. Right. It's like, it's insane what has happened. And, um, but it is that thing of like, you know, her just going like, okay, this is the thing I want to talk about. Let's come to my house and we'll talk about it. And then it resonates. And then yes, like I'm going, Oh, well, what about like this kind of merch, that kind of merch. And then be, kind of because of the hardcore, I was able to, they were starting to tour and it was like, well, now we need like a tour manager. And I was like, well, you know, I've gone on tour before and like, you know, it's kind of like, I, 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 you know, I know a little bit about this and that. And then I talked to the guy at the agency and he's like, well, here's what needs to happen. And so then I just like fucking put my mind to becoming the fucking the you know the best tour manager that i could be and so then i've just been involved in that and so then you're out on the road and you actually are seeing this shit you know like them coming on stage in front of five thousand people or whatever just going ape shit and then you do the meet and greet after and i'm like trying to you know think of it it's like this is it's funny so i don't want to go too long here but we when we went to dc the first time i had always emailed ian mckay over the years and written him letters some embarrassing others not but I always knew he got back to me. And so the night before we left, I, I just, I emailed him. I was like, Hey man, this is happening at the whatever theater. Like if you want to come through and not knowing him at all, you know, just, but just having corresponded and knowing that he would at least reply. And he's like, man, I can't, I can't that night. But if you guys aren't doing anything tomorrow, just come by the house. And so we did. And the, the part of the story that, involves this is we're in he first is like talking to us in the backyard and i was like hey um you know um so and so couldn't make it who at the time was helping us with the vip portion and is the same guy who tours with henry rollins so he knows him and so then he starts going like yeah i don't i can't i don't understand the vip thing man like people get a better seat and this and that and and so like it is sort of this inherently like non hardcore thing but i try to like when we do it i try to like you know talk to the people in the line and like at least you know it's it, it just because it does like it does feel like again it's like this exclusionary thing but you want to like you know i don't know it, it, it's uh no i well i i think it's really because you, you know once you've gotten to a uh point where you know i mean when you release art in the world like you know no matter what like it's not your own anymore and there's only so much sort of like ownership and authorship that you have over it because other people will take it and do what they want with it from a you know just a consumer perspective but i i think what you're you know art what you're articulating there is the fact that you want to you know make this process human because i think and i that's obviously why you know, this, this whole, you know, media empire quote unquote has grown where it's like people feel the connectivity, not only with the stories, but obviously, uh, you know, the, the women behind the mic. Right. And I, I think what you're trying to do is obviously it's like, even though there are certain business trappings that we have to kind of like fall into, uh, you know, in regards to like VIP experiences and that sort of stuff, it's like, you still want to try to make it, you know, human to where it doesn't feel like it's just like, oh yeah, like this is what we do because everybody else is doing it. Right. There isn't like say cheese and fuck off. Like everybody who walks <laughs> up, they, they like, and it's funny when we go to the venues, I have to be like, look, I don't, I just need the staff here to make sure no one stabs anybody. Otherwise let us handle this. Like if someone starts like telling a story because these women have like incredible stories, sometimes very tragic and I'm yep. not going to be like, wrap it up. Like we, so we're, it's going to take us a little while to get done, but 
We'll take care of that. Whatever it is, however long we're here, we'll worry about that later. Just let us handle this because this is not, this is not the normal meet and greet, you know? And so it is, <laughs> this it's, is like, not- it's a punk rock thing, you know? No, totally. And it's like, yeah, this is not the, um, you know, we're going to be, uh, you know, separated by uh, plexiglass. Right. I mean, even though, you know, that exists now, but like, <laughs> just that I, that idea of like, there is a distinct separation between you and me. And it's like, well, no, like, you know, we're still humans, even though, you know, we have a massively successful podcast. Like, that's just, you know, right. that's just I hardwired, I think, in what you're, the experience that you're talking about is just the a human connectivity, like people always want to exist with that. And then, you know, once you, I think once the ego comes into play and once you've bought into the fact like, oh, we're cool, that's when you obviously become uncool and completely out of touch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that's when you're going to have problems, I think, you know, when you, when <laughs> no, you lose, totally. when you lose sight of that. And, and fortunately, you know, I think obviously Georgia comes from, from punk and, and even though Karen doesn't, I think she, she has sort of has that ethic around her. And so it, it's just been, it's, it's been in, insane and wonderful, but also just very cool in how everything has sort of been handled. Yeah, no, for sure. And then like you said, just to be able to, you know, uh, <laughs> to, to ride alongside of this and be able to, you know, enhance it in so many different ways. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's rewarding. It's the same thing as putting out a record, except you're putting out, you know, multiple records a week. dude. And, and, you know, the other part too, to go back to my, like, you know, I just have never in in my life sort of known where I was trying to go. And I think it, sometimes like when you are focused on stand-up or whatever, you, you know, most people are like, well, I just want to do an hour special or I want to, you know, um, write for TV or this or that. And I just never had that, right? I, I was just like, I just don't want to have a regular job. I just want to fucking do shit I want to do. And so somehow yep. I have found my way there and it, and it has been it has been the strangest path. But, right. but I'm there now and, and I get to sort of do whatever because of it. And, um, and that is, that is the thing of like show business or, or art or whatever. There is no one way. So when somebody figures it out and starts telling you, this is how you get there, you need to, that's when you tell them to fuck off because there isn't, you know? No. Yeah. There's, there's no straight line there. There is just a, you know, series of left turns and, you know, maybe eventually you'll make a right turn and be somewhere that's like, Oh, Hey, I'm comfortable here. This is cool. Yeah. And if you're, you know, and that's the same thing you hear about people like, Oh, this guy, you know, he got his first whatever when he was 50 and it's because you just keep going, just keep going and doing what you want to do and, and it'll work itself out. Totally. Totally. Yeah. Well, Vince, thank you so much for hanging out, dude. I really appreciate you uh, nerding out and uh, <laughs> going to all these different corners that you probably haven't gone to in a while. So I appreciate it. Thank you, man. Hopefully I didn't filibuster too hard. Heck yeah, that was Vince. And uh, check out his band, Cross Control, if you're a fan of anything from the Detroit area, whether it's like Negative Approach and Necros and all that stuff, you will absolutely love his band. Also, if you're into wrestling, check out his wrestling podcast, We Watch Wrestling. Um, yeah, it's just, it's fun stuff. I don't listen to his podcast because personally I am not a wrestling dude, but, um, yeah, his band's really good. And, uh, yeah, why don't you maybe like pick up some of his, uh, old record label releases, right? <laughs> but anyways, thank you very much, Vince, for coming on the show. And next week I have Marshall Gallagher who plays in a band called Teenage Wrist. He also plays in a band called 303, which, uh, is wild to even say, but... <laughs> It's the truth. I didn't know about that until I interviewed him, but I absolutely love Teenage Wrist. It has so many cool elements of like, you know, dream pop, like, you know, My Buddy Valentine, all that sort of stuff, but then has elements of hum. And um, I actually, this is a compliment. I promise it's not a diss. There's elements of like Hoobastank in there. (laughs) 
And I know that sounds like a diss, but I promise you it's not because Hoobastank, they got some jams. Anyways, that's what I got on the show next week. And until then, please be safe, everybody.